Please remain standing as you're able, and you'll follow after me. We'll likely follow after the practice of Jesus and reciting what he called the great commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from the third chapter of Matthew. It begins in verse 10. John the ba- at that, about that time, John the Baptist came into the wilderness preaching, The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. And John, this fulfilled or was spoken of in the prophet Isaiah of the one that he said, Lo, a voice comes crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore um, a camel's hair for a coat and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey and honey. And people came to him from all Jerusalem and from all Judea and from the region around the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Now, when he saw some of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, from these very stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the root is, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be thrown into the fire. For there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, and whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There was a parable in the ancient world that went something like this, or a proverb that said there are three states of misery in life. One is sickness, one is fasting, and the third one is travel. Travel was extremely difficult and also dangerous in those days. There weren't good roads uh, in most all the world, especially in the area we might call the wilderness. And so the advice was when you get ready to go on a trip, you should settle all your debts ahead of time, make sure your children have an inheritance, and give gifts to the people you love and say farewell to them for you may not see them again. Travel was dangerous, and so when Isaiah had said, prepare in the Lord, uh, for, uh, prepare in the wilderness a highway for the Lord, and John the Baptist came echoing that message, they knew that they were being asked to do something that was very difficult, and yet at the same time was also very important. For the only good road in that day was a road known as the King's Highway, and depending on who was the king, if they had enough money, uh, they would more or less pave a road uh, from an outside area into uh, Jerusalem so people could come for the festivals. But for many, many uh, centuries, the king didn't have enough money to keep up this road. So prepare a a road in the wilderness was something they understood and something they knew would be very difficult. Aren't we glad? we live today when travel is so much easier. We have airplanes and modern airports without lines and and we have cars and and GPS on those cars and we have wonderful interstate systems to take on the Thanksgiving weekend. 
travel, as they say, is one of the three miseries of life. Last Sunday, we set out from Montgomery, Alabama to come all the way home. And I learned that we have wildernesses of our own. There are parts of Interstate 10 between uh, Louisiana and, uh, and Houston that you would go from a raceway to a parking lot in a matter of seconds and with no seeming rhyme or reason why it was happening. Now, I say that to talk about a literal highway and wilderness to make the metaphorical point, which is even with all of our technology and wonders in the world in which we live, we still have a wilderness in our own world. We still have difficulties that even our modern conveniences don't solve for us. I saw this quote the other day. A person said, we do not lack in this world for information or knowledge, but what we don't seem to have is wisdom with the that has the power to guide us through the wilderness of time. In other words, whatever age we find ourselves in, there's always a bit of wilderness. And if you don't believe me, you can look at the bookshelves. I, I saw reviews, I haven't read it yet, but Thomas Friedman, you know, the, the World is Flat, came out with a new book about 10 days ago. Uh, and in it, he talks about what he calls the age of accelerations. And he says that basically the speed of change and, and the rate of change, uh, the pace and the rate are so uh, increasing exponentially so that now individuals and even societies as a whole can no longer have the capacity to keep up with the change. We're just being overrun by change. And, and you can look around and begin to experience this in, um, in your own life. I'm the last, sort of the tail end of the generation that, that grew up with the evening news. And if I watched the evening news, I was kind of aware of what's going on. And then, of course, in the recent election, all the pundits on the evening news turned out to be pretty much wrong. And then and my children are the generation that gets all their news from Facebook, and they find out in the recent election that a lot of the stuff that passed as news on Facebook was actually manufactured and false. Even in our amazing world of technology, we find a wilderness. And most of the signs of social health in our day uh, are actually declining, even though our modern conveniences and highways, uh, metaphorical of all kind, we still seem to struggle even more to, to uh, have peace and meaning in our life. Well, the good news is that when John the Baptist came and said, repent, uh, for the kingdom is at hand, they would have heard that as good news because that meant a king was coming. That meant help was on the way. And he dressed in this strange clothing. He wore a coat of camel's hair and a leather belt, and then he ate a, a, a strange diet. Now, one thing about the diet, he wasn't eating bugs, uh, if you've been to Israel with Ray Vanderland or maybe you've seen the videos, uh, a locust is like um, a carob seed. And so it's a plant, not much uh, tree and not much taste, but you, you can eat it. And so he wasn't eating bugs, but still where he was baptizing, the way he was dressed and his message were all reminiscent of the prophet Elijah. And they believed that before the Messiah would come to bail us out of our difficulty, that, that Elijah would come first. And so it's no wonder that all these crowds came and, uh, for John to give them this message. And so since the crowds were coming, the Pharisees and Sadducees showed up too. Because here's the issue. If the king is coming, what kind of road should we build him? Or, or how should we prepare the way? Uh, you may know the rock and roll marathons going on this morning, and so there are certain roads you can't go in downtown today um, and and so sometimes preparing the highway is building a road sometimes it's like clearing a road preparing a path 
So, for example, uh, when a presidential motorcade would come, you know, we will we'll clear block streets and we'll, we'll clear paths or, the, or for the Battle of Flowers, we'll clear paths and lines, highways. So that's basically the metaphor involved. But the question is, how do you clear that path? And the Pharisees would have said, you clear the path by good behavior. Keep all these rules that we, that we have for you. Uh, the Sadducees would say, uh, you keep it by, uh, by allowing us to participate in and keep the temple running. As long as the temple's running, God is on the throne, and it's all good. And they, what they both felt like is they got their uh, reason for being from the fact that they were children of Abraham. And so immediately he tries to tell them, your ancestry is not helping you on this. It's not giving you the right answers. Uh, So the way they wanted to prepare the highway was not necessarily the way the highway was going to be built, uh, according to the prophet John the Baptist. But they're like, well, we've been doing this for generations. This runs in our family. Of course this is what we do. I don't know, have you ever met anybody that put their trust in their family heritage and lineage? Maybe we're not big on that in San Antonio, but I was in Charleston on vacation uh, last week, and we came to St. Philip's Church. And St. Philip's has two graveyards, or a graveyard and a cemetery. They have one right next to the church for people who were born in Charleston and members. And then across the street from the church, everybody was members, but they weren't born in Charleston. And there's a huge monument across the street for people not born there, and it has the name Calhoun on it. And it's the monument of the former vice president of the United States and Senator John C. Calhoun. Pretty big deal. Uh, Also secretary of state. uh, Also, according, a a leading figure for secessionists, but he died long before the Civil War. But they worried when Sherman was going through that the Yankees might try to do something to Calhoun's body. So they dug him up and they took him across the street and buried him in an unmarked grave with all the people born in Charleston. And then after the war, you know what they did? Former vice president, secretary of the state, you weren't born here, so they dug him up and moved him back across the street. There are people that trust in their ancestry, and John's just saying your ancestry won't, it's not helping you here. There's a new message. And I think that's good news. If we can't rely on our ancestry and that doesn't work for us, then we also don't have past mistakes we have working against us. It goes both ways. There's something new here, and it's called repentance. Repentance was a really big deal to the Jews in Jesus' day. They had this saying from the Bible, they took it, that repentance would bring healing to the nations. In other words, if the world around you is in turmoil, the answer is repentance. They said repentance is so great that God created repentance before God created the Bible. That God created in the beginning heaven and hell, the name of the Messiah, they said, and the possibility of repentance. And, and they said that you can only shoot an arrow so far, but repentance will go straight into heaven. So maybe it's good for a moment to think, well, what does John mean by repentance? Well, let me tell you first what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean clean up your act and be a little nicer. Quit drinking quite so much. Put out the cigarette. Be nicer to the dog. Try to have a better attitude at work. Repentance wasn't about behaviors like that. Let me give an example of the way they used repentance. And this came, comes uh, from history. In 66 AD, about 30 years or so after Jesus, there's a man named Josephus. You've probably heard of him. 
And at this time, he is a general, in a sense, in the army for Israel. And he knows that some people are planning to revolt against Rome, and he knows that that is not going to work out well. So he goes to the revolutionary uh, leader in Galilee, and he tries to tell him, look, if you do this, we're all going to die, which in fact happened. They'll destroy our city, they'll destroy our temple. Don't do this, it won't work. But this, after he makes his case, this is how he closes his case to the general. He says, I need you to repent and believe in me. And it gives a clue as to how John and Jesus would have used the term. Repentance wasn't just about changing your behavior a little bit. Repentance was reorienting your whole way of life. You used to trust yourself. Now you trust in somebody else. You used to make your own plans for life. Now you turn and you allow someone else to rule your life. And of course, that someone is God. So what repentance isn't, It's just making a few modifications. What repentance is, is turning over your entire life to the one who can do more with your life than you can do with it on your own, the one who can guide you through the wilderness. That's repentance. Turn from running your own life and give God a chance. Now, the beautiful thing about the highway in Isaiah, it was just like a two-way road. A highway was not just for the king to come in, and uh, to Jerusalem, but the highway was also for all of the people who were estranged from God in exile. It gave them a road back home. And so they always believed that just as important as God coming to you was you turning around and coming to God. Uh, there's a story in the Bible about maybe one of the worst men who ever lived. He was the king of, of, of Israel, of Judah. His name was Manasseh. He was so terrible. This is some of his qualifications. This is resume. He brought false gods into the temple. He worshipped the worst false god of all, Baal, and he sacrificed his children and the children of his country to another false god to try to ensure peace. That's his resume. He's totally against God. God says he's more wicked than every king who's ever gone before. But as he gets sick near the end of his life, he says, God, I was wrong. Forgive me. This is in Second Chronicles. Um, and... And God does. And the rabbis said this is the picture. It's not in the Bible, but the picture they see is that when he prayed a prayer of repentance, that God tore heaven open and leaned out in order to hear it. It's a two-way road. It's a road for God to come to us, but also there's a road for us to come to God. And God is so eager that if we will just take one step toward God, God will meet us there. Are you tired of running your own life? You tired of tired of trying to figure this out all on your own? This morning, as you get in line and come to the altar, when you come, think of it as the one step, the one step on a road, and expect that our God will meet you here.